Hello and welcome to Mash Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, Mash. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Ethan. Ethan, I hear that you have a little bit of trivia for us <laughs> in this opening topic. I do. So, somewhat recently, Hawkeye's boots and dog tags were sold at auction for $125,000, um, raising money for the Alda Foundation for Communication in Science. So, off of that, I wanted to ask you if there were any props from movies or TV shows that you would like to own. Yeah, so I'm struggling with this because I don't really think that I really truly want anything um, maybe the, the things that I want are not real. <laughs> like mm-hmm. They are not feasible. So, um, first of all, really want Belle's library from Beauty and the Beast. Oh, of course. Number one, off the bat. Second, I know that everybody who, like, loves Harry Potter really wants something from Harry Potter, but I really, really want, um, something that is not real, of course, like, not actually from the set, from the... I don't even, I'm like rambling. Okay. I don't want wands or anything or anything ridiculous like that, right? I want two things, both of which are not real. Again, (laughs) I want Hermione's time turner. She used it so that she could go to extra classes during the school year. And honestly, such a girl of my heart because that's exactly (laughs) the reason I want the time turner. Very on brand. Yes. And I also really want her small beaded bag that she charmed to make it like a never ending bag. It had it was this really tiny clutch that she could just put tents mm-hmm. and just everything in. And yeah. honestly, what girl does not want that? Or basically, what person doesn't want that? Who doesn't want unlimited space just in a tiny little bag? Big Mary Poppins energy is what we're saying here yes. today. Yes. So for me, I'm not a big collector of things. I don't really like toys. I don't really like having just stuff that I don't need around the house. So I haven't really thought about this too much as well. But I will say, as a kid, I adored the film Back to the Future. It was my favorite movie of all time. Um, And I really, really wanted the car from Back to the Future, the DeLorean. And for my entire (laughs) childhood... My dad was like, oh, when you start driving, we're going to find you that car. We're going to get you that car. And that did not end up happening for a number of reasons. But thank God that didn't happen because that car is a piece of junk that no one should ever drive. (laughs) Um, It's a terrible car. And the joke in that movie is that it's a terrible car. So sometimes things don't work out for the best. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes things do work out for that. Sounds like it worked out for the best for you. Oh, because sure, then you wouldn't sure. be saddled with like a terrible car. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, so now that we've talked about our fantasies of having weird and terrible things, apparently, let's get into today's episode of MASH. <laughs> so in this episode, it happened one night. We follow the personnel of the 4077 as they work an overnight shift in post-op. The doctors and nurses deal with shelling, shootings, and angry patients, which might seem like an eventful evening, but it is pretty much par for the course at this point. So, Ethan, what did you think about this episode? So, I feel like I should like this episode more. I feel like I should be a big fan of this episode. It's the kind of story that I like. I like these one-night kind of episodes and kind of movies and stuff, but this one just doesn't really work for me. There's a lot of good moments in it that we'll get into But as a whole, I feel like it doesn't really come together. 
I feel like it was lacking the uh, the structure that some of these more vignette episodes have with like a narrator, like a, a central theme. But this, for me, was just kind of stuff happening. And honestly, it's kind of hard to remember, even though I've seen this episode a couple times at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I like this episode, um, not for necessarily its plot structure or anything about the plot, but that it had really great character development. I, I too, have watched this episode um, a few times in preparation for discussion, and I feel like the, the development of the new characters, specifically um, Colonel Potter and BJ, and also uh, Klinger gets a, a good little arc in this one, too. Yeah. I think that that is what really draws me to this episode and why I like it. Um, I should say it's not a perfect episode. I definitely have my problems with it, but I did think it was just a good, almost character study episode for characters that we might not know as well yet. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I do agree with you there that all the character work is very good. I just kind of wish that in your little brief summary, you said that this might sound like an eventful evening, but it's kind of par for the course. I kind of wish that things were a little more like high stakes. I don't know. It, mm-hmm. it felt very like big stuff was happening, but no one was really that invested in it. And I think that's kind mm-hmm. of also what's causing my disconnect with the episode um i'm sure some people will disagree with me and say like them being so used to it is like a really nice thing but just as a as a piece of dramatic storytelling quote unquote there was not a lot that actually got me invested within the story that they're telling yeah i i can understand that and i definitely see where you're coming from with that so let's get into the plot of the episode a little bit more so Right off the bat, I have to note that in our discussion about the book, MASH, I really appreciated how we got a little bit more of the dynamics of the MASH unit in terms of how it kind of works, how shifts are, this and the other thing, because we don't usually see that in the show. And of course, in this episode, I got proven wrong because we see a shift change, which I feel like we don't typically see a lot in MASH episodes. Like it's been mentioned, but we don't necessarily see it physically happening a lot. Yeah. Um. So in this episode, Hawkeye changes shift with BJ, which I thought was kind of interesting because it kind of removes BJ from the actual like character equation for a bit. Like, he's important to this episode. Like, he kind of drives one of the subplots, but he's not really focused on too much. Like, you don't see him a lot, which I thought was interesting for, like, the writers to do, to kind of have this new character, have him have, like, a central plot, but also not have him really in the spotlight. And I, I liked the joke with uh, Frank and Hawkeye changing shifts, and Frank's all mad at uh, Hawkeye for being, like, 10 minutes late, and Margaret is also 10 minutes late, and Frank just immediately, like, gives Margaret, like, the benefit of the doubt, but doesn't give Hawkeye that. I thought it was very in character for them. Yeah, definitely. I really liked how, um, throughout this episode, I really felt like the dialogue and the jokes that they were cracking were very realistic to how they would actually talk. And 
And for anyone who's been listening for a long time, they know that this is what I really like about mm-hmm. the show and what the humor that most resonates with me is always when they are just kind of casually throwing out jokes and humor and whatnot. So just the way that when Frank was saying, oh, to Margaret, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine that you're late. And Hawkeye kind of just casually tosses over his shoulder. I had to bring a note from home. It felt very much just like the characters that we already know are very much established and grounded within themselves. And Mm -hmm. I, I just I just really liked that. Yes. And everyone being so in character, I think, also really helped the kind of new dynamics going on with uh, Mm -hmm, BJ mm -hmm. and Colonel Potter, which we'll talk about. But even they, for the little bit that we know of them, were very like grounded in their their new roles and new kind of dynamics. They felt very much of themselves as well, which was cool. And speaking of the characters being of themselves, as you said, I liked how we were reestablishing here um, when Frank was kind of giving Hawkeye and Margaret report that Frank is, in fact, a very lousy doctor. Yes. (laughs) Previously, BJ had said that he had a patient who was using a lot of units of blood and whatnot. And then when Frank is giving report to Hawkeye and Margaret, he's saying, oh, yeah, this patient is fine. Like, we don't even have to worry about him. Meanwhile, his blood pressure is super low. Mm -hmm. He's using up all these units of blood. And Frank is just like, he's not bothering (laughs) me at all. It's fine. (laughs) That was very Frank. Like, he he's just not really the man that you want by your (laughs) bed while you're trying to feel better. No, no, definitely not. And so right after this scene, we get, I would say, one of the main plots of the episode, which is the shelling, which is something that we've, mm-hmm. you know, encountered before and experienced before. And I really liked the commentary here because we establish that it's American shelling and we see inside the post-op unit that this American shelling is affecting the American patients who are literally trying to get better after fighting the American war effort. So I really, I really appreciated that this episode wasn't entirely devoid of that commentary that we like to see in MASH, uh, while also giving it that kind of run of the mill, this is what happens on the MASH unit vibe. I liked how they kind of meshed the two things together. And also, it kind of set off Colonel Potter's plot, which I thought gave him a lot of character development and depth in this episode. So I really enjoyed this plot line. What did you think about it? This plot line's probably my favorite in the episode. I really like how it establishes Colonel Potter's character, how his relationship to the shelling kind of evolves over time. Because when it starts, like with your what you're saying with like commentary, Colonel Potter's just so used to this that when Radar wakes him up from the shelling, he like immediately is like, oh, well, I can tell that it's ours and kind of immediately goes back <laughs> to sleep, which is a great way to establish that he, first of all, is an old pro. He knows what he's doing, but he's so not used to being in command of like an army hospital uh, at this point that he has to be reminded that, hey, there are other people here who are not used to this and, like, need this to stop. Like, this is a scary situation. And he's, like, he never, like, puts up a fuss about it, but he's, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I forgot that that was a thing. I forgot that normal people exist. And then he kind of has an arc over the entire episode about him, like, 
kind of getting frustrated with the military bureaucracy of it all. And it was, uh, it was very funny and very, like, well done from a character point of view, especially considering how new Colonel Potter is. This is only, like, the second time we've seen him. Yeah, I agree with you. I, let's get into Colonel Potter's kind of story about trying to get this shelling to stop as well. Um, I thought it was really interesting because he called several uh, people trying to get the shelling to stop and kind of using his rank to get the shelling to stop and whatnot. And you see this really stark difference between Colonel Potter and Henry in these yeah. scenes because you kind of see how Henry was so far out of his depths as commanding officer and Colonel Potter just so isn't because even in that first conversation that he had with I'm pretty sure a major saying this is Colonel Potter stop the shelling basically he's using as little as few words as possible really to kind of establish his command and say this is what I want to happen Henry would never be able to do that I feel Mm -hmm. and I also liked in several of the following scenes He was using humor, like his character is not devoid of humor in any way, I don't think, because you still got a chuckle kind of out of what he was saying and what he was doing and his his word choice and his mannerisms in trying to get the shelling to stop. But it was just so much different than Henry and just how the writers would play off of Henry's kind of incompetence um, if he was making that same phone call. And I just I really, really liked that. Henry was just constantly scared and bewildered at everything. Mm-hmm. And Colonel Potter is like just so used to it all that him not immediately getting his way was like a great indication of like who he actually is. That like when he has friction, you know, he will he will get frustrated in a very like natural way. And I, I liked that the the weird conversation he has with like some guy about like, well, if you're not feeling well, put hot water in your helmet and just like sit in your helmet for a bit. And then yes, like when yes. when the shelling doesn't stop, he's like, oh, I hope that guy gets stuck in his helmet, which is <laughs> such like a grandpa thing to say. Like you said <laughs> in the last episode that he'll become our, our favorite grandpa or something. And that was uh, the line that really clinched that for me. It's like, oh, yeah, big grandpa energy right there. <laughs> That was another thing that I really liked. So for context about that, he was talking to a general and he was on basically a first name basis with this, right. this general. He knew his wife. He knew his wife's ailments. He knew, um, you know, what was causing this general pain, which is why he said, oh, just soak in your in your hat, stuff like that. I thought that that was so interesting to be able to kind of utilize that for the show of Colonel Potter being this regular army, Mm -hmm. very much, uh, you know, career military person to use that for humor and also to help the plot. And I I, I just really, I really liked what this episode established for Colonel Potter because, you know, we we find out that he's pretty chill in the last episode. Um, And this is to me, is supposed to be a couple weeks later where you're still establishing who he really is. Yeah, because before Colonel Potter like shows up, everyone at the MASH unit is kind of like normal people, like civilians running around kind of not mm-hmm. knowing how any of this works. And now we have a guy who knows how it works, but also like that doesn't <laughs> mean the system's going to like go his way. So yes, it's, exactly. it's fun 
that he has to, like, take his old relationships and be like, you know what, that guy's actually an idiot. I don't like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely fun to see it played out on screen. So let's move on from Colonel Potter and talk about Klinger. Oh, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. Because I thought Klinger was super duper interesting in this episode. And in ways that we have seen before, like, this was very much just who Klinger is, and I just, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, so there's a, a new guy on campus, let's say, and I really like the relationship he had, the little bit of interaction that was between him and uh, Radar, that Radar, the, the kid of the unit, was like, oh, this dumb kid was very fun to me, <laughs> uh, that he was, like, frustrated him being a novice, like, there's always a bigger fish, and for this guy, radar is the bigger fish, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, and for and for some context, um, this new kid is being trained by Klinger to be keeping guard, and he is kind of making I feel the same mistakes and uh, this having the same kind of antics that Klinger was having in the first season of the show. <laughs> where he's just like holding everybody up and saying, oh, what's the password? Even if he knows who they are mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I thought that that was, that was kind of cute with Klinger just passing the torch along with that like slight incompetence thing. Yeah, we'll have to see if uh, this kid reappears in the future and is night guard. He probably should because he was deeply scared in this episode. And that's kind of where the uh, the conflict comes in. That this kid is so overwhelmed by everything. That I guess in like a routine inspection kind of thing, he ends up shooting Klinger's arm, but like just <laughs> barely. Like there's not even like a scratch on Klinger's arm, and this is a uh, this is Klinger's one way ticket home, uh, which is just very fun. Like his whole theatrical performance of how injured he is, I thought was was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, he it's established that the bullet just barely graces his shoulder and Klinger is of course he's going hard for mm-hmm. this idea that oh maybe because I've been shot technically um <laughs> that I could get a discharge and this is what I mean also about the dialogue feeling very real and being very funny to me because as Klinger is putting on this whole show about like, oh, I'm seeing the light, I'm going to die, all this kind of stuff. Hawkeye's like, can you pull it together? He's yeah. like, was the gun even loaded when it hit you? Like, could you at least bleed to make it believable, dude? It was it was so funny. Klinger, I, I absolutely loved that. Klinger, the character, is going for an Emmy in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> And I also loved how Klinger kind of kept up this charade of being so wounded and definitely needing a discharge, even while Hawkeye is patching mm-hmm. up the the very minor wound on his shoulder. And Hawkeye even says, he's like, it's don't me, to- it's us, <laughs> yeah. stop. <laughs> he's like, don't talk to me like I'm other people. Um, It's not something that he, it's the vibe that, you know, come on, I know what, <laughs> I know what the game here is. Uh, and Klinger being a, co- a committed performer, being the true thespian that he is, <laughs> is like, I will give this up for no one. This is my only ticket. I'm doing this. <laughs> Which, you know, is just what we love about Klinger. He's a man who commits. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If there's one thing you can say about Klinger, it is that he commits. <laughs> just too bad he won't ever be committed. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. You're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Klinger gets patched up, right? But this is this is not where his storyline ends. <laughs> because he makes one final inane attempt <laughs> to be sick enough to be thrown out of the army. And that attempt is stripping down to his underwear and running outside in the freezing cold. And... <laughs> Almost getting hypothermia. And Margaret's reaction to this just blew me away. I The fact that she <laughs> was screaming at him to get back in there and she was so angry <laughs> was so, so great to me. I was, I was on the floor rolling. Everything with Klinger in this one is really good. That I don't know what happened. Maybe, you know, the new change of command you have in Colonel Potter here. He's trying to step up his game, like, really lay it on thick. But he uh, he really <laughs> goes for it in this one. I think that they gave Klinger this kind of more pronounced storyline so early in the season because Jamie Farr was upgraded from a recurring as a recurring character to the main cast in this season. And I right, feel right. like we have to, or the writers had to kind of establish that this was his like shtick almost. He dresses in yeah. women's clothes. He wants to be out of the army. Um, so to maybe audience members who didn't catch Klinger all the time, um, this was this was his <laughs> almost like grand reopening. <laughs> or uh, I guess grand reopening would be the opposite of a last hurrah. But like this feels like, Klinger's last hurrah of like really going for it because in the like last episode they do kind of reestablish like the dress thing of it more being like for him than getting out of the mm-hmm. army um so he's he's trying to figure out new and new and exciting ways to just be a, a an absolute <laughs> looney tune yes and that will come up throughout the rest of the series as well that um well if dresses aren't going to work this uh, i'm gonna get out of the army in some other way and Mm -hmm. a lot of uh a lot of subplots of a lot more episodes in the future will feature things like this with clinger so if you enjoyed this you will enjoy other episodes you know i'm down for shenanigans so i'm looking (laughs) forward to that so um I had said that Clear kind of goes through an arc in this episode as well, because mm-hmm. we see him doing these like really silly things, you know, in an attempt to be thrown out of the army. But it all kind of culminates in him being a good person still, because at this point in time, um, when he runs out and is in his underwear and has to warm up, BJ comes back into post-op because he can't sleep due to the shelling and also, you know, being worried about this patient that we had established wasn't doing well. Mm -hmm. So, and then throughout the rest of the episode, we see that he has had to have uh, two or three more units of blood. And I thought that BJ coming in at this point was really, really interesting for his character development too. Because Hawkeye says to him, you know, he, this patient's not getting better. Is it a possibility that you missed something? And BJ is so sure that he did not miss anything when he was operating on him the first time. And I liked that the writers did this because they are showing us BJ's learning curve. Hawkeye kind of has this experience that if this patient is using up this much blood and not getting better there's a problem and BJ just being so sure that how could I have missed something that that kind of thing. I, I like to see the contrast there in the two characters, one being more experienced, one being still new. Yeah. 
like the last episode, there was a scene where like Colonel Potter kind of helps BJ uh, kind of learn the ropes of surgery. Mm -hmm. And I like that this continues that even though BJ is here and he's like very much established, like in this episode, he feels more part of like the actual group dynamic than he did previously. Like he's more willing to like make fun of Margaret and stuff like that. He's still in terms of being like a doctor here, just completely new which is really fun and interesting to see because like Mm -hmm. we said in the the first episode of the season, we did not really get to see a lot of the like adjustment period. They were already there for a while. And Mm -hmm. now we get to see him very naturally learn the ropes of meatball surgery without the um, incompetent malice that like Frank has where it's like, he's not a bad doctor. He just doesn't know how to play in this game, essentially, with this rule set. I think the writers kind of expertly melded this plot with BJ and this plot with Klinger together when BJ realizes that he has to open up the patient again because he clearly missed something. And they're gearing up to start asking for donors for blood because they had used up all of their B-positive blood. And Klinger says, hey, listen, it's the middle of the night. Don't wake anybody up. I've got B-positive blood. I can give you as much as you need. And I really loved how BJ, instead of being like Frank Burns and saying, no, I absolutely didn't miss anything. I'm not opening him up again, Mm -hmm. realizes that he must have made a mistake, that he needs to fix that mistake, and then have Klinger also, you know, for the entire episode, do these really crazy things and be this guy who just does not want to be in the military at all, step up to the plate when he's needed and do the noble thing. And we've seen that before in episodes like Aid Station where Klinger really like steps up to the plate and does his job. But I I liked that they they reestablished that about Klinger as well, that he's going to do crazy things, but he's going to do the right thing where it counts. Yeah, the little bit that we get to see Klinger and BJ like play off of each other, I thought was really great. Just the the thing that BJ says to Klinger of like, oh, Klinger, do you want a medal? And Klinger goes, only for desertion, sir, is just a classic, <laughs> just perfect encapsulation of this like moment and this kind of character dynamic. Um, you're right that it's it's really great for Klinger specifically because I think that's like what makes him work and what makes him so fun is that Klinger is trying to get out of the army, but he's being like fun and goofy about it. He's not being a mm-hmm. jerk. Like he's not right. shirking any responsibility. He, when needed, will like do his job and like go kind of above and beyond like you know donating blood but also he just doesn't want to be in the army it's nothing personal about like (laughs) anyone there or the work they're doing which i think is just a great like complexity to that character because it could be very flat very one-dimensional but there are layers to him you know what i mean yeah i agree with you i think that them being able to play off of each other bj and Klinger being able to play off of each other in this scene was just kind of like a real treat for the audience who might not know them as well. Um, And then me who knows them very, like these characters very Mm -hmm. well, it's nice to see that 
kind of being established yeah. and where the rest of the series will be going and what the dynamic will be. So I, I enjoyed it. I don't know what the dynamic is moving into the future, but that little like, would you like a metal comment um, felt very, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship to me. Yes, yes. And Klinger being so resigned when he says his response to BJ was just so like, yep, that's Klinger. He, <laughs> he's going to do the right thing, but he's not necessarily happy about it. Yeah. So one thing that I, this is where the episode kind of falls a little bit flat for me Ooh. because all of the issues with this patient get resolved kind of off screen. And I think that a more powerful episode may have been a little bit more focus on um, the shelling and then also having BJ's patient be taking up as much screen time as the shelling um, because I feel like the shelling and Colonel Potter kind of almost overwhelmed this episode, Mm -hmm. um, not to a bad degree, but just to like the detriment of this other plot line. And like we said, I I feel like BJ's character was kind of being developed here and it was almost like a little bit stifled by having this resolved off screen because basically (laughs) they take him into the OR and then the next scene is them, BJ, Hawkeye and Margaret kind of walking out of post-op again and being like, okay, our shift's over and BJ just admitting that he has still a lot to learn and that's it. Yeah, that's fair and true. Um, one thing that gets like more focused on is this other patient who is like freaked out by the shelling. Like that plot line for this patient who is unrelated to BJ or Hawkeye or anything, uh, kind of takes the climax focus like of the episode where he's like freaking out and like Margaret has to subdue him, uh, and like Hawkeye has to help. That was the climax kind of of the episode where it all culminates and it's just kind of a random guy like it's not anyone that like Mm -hmm. they personally care about which is kind of I guess like realistic that not everything would tie into the patient of our main characters but also like you're right there probably should have been a scene of like surgery where Mm -hmm. BJ like discovers his like issue or something like that but it's mainly tossed aside for a joke about this guy being agitated and maybe grabbing Margaret during his agitation period and Margaret kind of freaking out over that. And then it's kind of over. Yeah, I think that a tighter episode would have maybe not done that and would have more followed BJ and shown BJ a little bit more. But, you know, like I said, not a perfect episode. Still enjoyable, but not a perfect episode. Um... One thing that we haven't discussed mm-hmm. <laughs> is this like really tiny like C plot line. I think this is a Frank. G plot line. This is pretty far down the list. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just it was just such a strange thing, right? Where in the beginning of the episode, Margaret slips Frank a little note, and then we see Frank read it and laugh and then tear it up. And Margaret kind of gets offended by that because she's like, Frank, hey. What, like, why would you tear up a, a cute little love note that I wrote you? And to that, I say, Margaret, you can do better. You need to do, <laughs> you need a guy who's going to scrapbook all of your love notes, girl. That's what you want to see. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> mm-hmm. Frank Frank says that he tears up all of her love notes. And she, again, gets offended, which 
fair. Completely valid, I think. Maybe you shouldn't be in a relationship with someone who's married and has to, like, keep it a secret. And then when she tells Frank that she keeps all of his love notes, he gets very agitated by this. I think because he's married and he doesn't want any, like, evidence of this affair with Margaret. So basically, in the episode strewn throughout we get very tiny scenes of frank just going ape shit on <laughs> margaret's tent <laughs> and just taught like he takes a knife to her walls and stuff like that yeah, it's yeah. crazy he's trying to find all these notes that he left her that she had kept so it was just like kind of crazy okay so like i said earlier i've seen this episode several times and for the first several times i was just kind of confused that was what was happening i know that it's an affair and uh frank like wants to keep it a secret but at the end of the episode after this like insane rampage that he went on in margaret's tent larry linville delivers the line like oh margaret i was just looking for a pen i couldn't find a pen so earnestly That that, like, threw me off for, like, several watches of this episode. (laughs) I just thought that Frank went insane after getting any form of affection. (laughs) I was trying to find these other notes to, like, verify the affection. He's just so love starved (laughs) that he was like, I need to tear up my, I need to tear up the walls looking for more love, which (laughs) confused me so much. But now I think it is more that he wanted to keep the affair secret, but... I was so confused the entire time. I think that your interpretation of that is actually just like so sweet, though, that Frank is just so starved for love that he's just like, I have to find more of it. (laughs) (laughs) And not for this like really kind of like nasty. It it is sad, but it just like the idea that it was for that purpose instead of this really nasty purpose of just trying to keep his affair secret is just... It makes you like Frank Burns a little bit more, but unfortunately, I do not think that was Mm -hmm. the intent for that scene. (laughs) But I was so angry also because (laughs) Margaret spends all night on duty dealing with crazy patients, waiting, like dealing with Klinger. (laughs) And then she comes back to her tent to sleep. And then she has to deal with Frank destroying her whole tent that and is all of her true. stuff. Does she have to clean that up now before she can go to bed? Oh my god, what she probably hell? does. And she already had to put up with uh, Radar earlier in the episode sniffing her clothes. So like, uh, what is going on here? <laughs> poor girl. She needs uh, a better like, environment to live in. And a better boyfriend, I guess. One that doesn't have to uh, Agree. destroy her whole life. And... He doesn't even give this note, like, 30 seconds before he tears it up. Like, she is in the room when he does it, which is just very unfair. I agree. It's, like I always say, Margaret, you can do better, girl. (laughs) So now that we've discussed how uh, Margaret needs a better boyfriend, do you have any favorite lines from this episode? Yes, all of my lines, I think, are from Margaret's unfortunate boyfriend. Have to (laughs) shout out, when they're doing inspection... And Klinger asks for the password, and Frank says, uh, Caribbean. And then Klinger's like, I thought it was Caribbean. And then Frank goes, it's the same thing, you simp. Which we just have to shout out <laughs> anytime that Mr. Frank Burns says simp. Because that word has changed its meaning over the course of uh, a few decades, <laughs> hasn't it? And uh, another Frank line 
which is just very frank and very Hawkeye, was they were briefly looking at like a Chinese patient and Frank whispers that he's Chinese and then Hawkeye just responds very flatly like, Frank, you don't have to whisper. He knows he's Chinese. Just very in (laughs) character for both of them, like we were saying. Yeah, I liked those lines as well. I think my favorite line, which will probably come as a surprise to no one, is when Hawkeye is being introduced to the character who ends up shooting Klinger, this kid who is being trained to be on guard. Um, they grab this can of beans and they look at the date and Klinger says, oh, these these beans are from 1943. They're from World War II. And Hawkeye says, right, there has beans. Uh-huh. And I just lost my... I knew you <laughs> I would. lost it. I knew this would be on your favorite <laughs> line list because this is the most Vanessa <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I'm just, I'm a real big dad joke pun girl, so if anybody ever says them in a sitcom, it's my favorite thing. And (laughs) the reason why it's probably your favorite thing is because you grew up watching this show that does all these dad jokes. (laughs) Honestly, yeah, like, I grew up watching sitcoms where that was, like, the epitome of jokes, and so... (laughs) That is probably why my humor is the way it is. Your humor is a little bit skewed by watching <laughs> MASH when you were 11 years old. I don't believe yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, Vanessa, I hear you may have some trivia for us in this fine episode of ours. Yes, I do. So, on your prompting, actually, Ethan, I Ooh. looked up the medical consultant for this episode and a lot of episodes of MASH, actually. So, Oh, that's exciting. I'm happy I could contribute. <laughs> yes, it, I, and I'm so glad you did because this is so interesting, at least in my opinion. Okay, so Walter Dischel played the... Played. <laughs> Walter Dischel was the medical consultant for what seemed like the entirety of the series of MASH. Okay, so, Dishel was born in Detroit, Michigan in 1939 and attended medical school at the University of Michigan, so he was a doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. Dishel is an ear, nose, and throat specialist, a head and neck surgeon, and a facial cosmetic surgeon. Mm. Perhaps he could perform a rhinoplasty one of these days. (laughs) That's a callback to an earlier episode. (laughs) Like I said, Dishel served as the medical consultant on several long-running shows, including MASH, After MASH, which was not very long-running, but he was there, (laughs) a show called Medical Center, Knott's Landing, and the big one, Trapper John, MD. Oh, man. So we're having, like, real continuity here between crew. That's that's interesting. I love that. Isn't that crazy? I loved that. Can't wait for 2028 for our mash for our Trapper John MD podcast when we finally <laughs> find these episodes. Dishel said it was actually a little bit easier to be the medical consultant on MASH than on shows set in the present, like the show Medical Center, because the audience would never be in the situation of being worked on in 1950s Korea, but they could right. find themselves in the situation of being in a hospital or doctor's office in the present day. So I thought that was really interesting. That is really interesting how the uh, period piece kind of nature of this does give you more artistic freedom to uh, do different doctoral things because less people are going to fact check you. Yeah, but that being said, 
Dishel said one of his biggest challenges on MASH was making sure the medicine and surgical techniques didn't go beyond the capabilities of the time period. So he consulted medical textbooks from the 1950s and professional publications like the Journal of War Surgery to ensure that the medical side of each episode was historically accurate. That's really cool. I actually love that a lot. That's one of my favorite things about any sort of period piece. Like I know that... um. Like Mad Men, a lot of those episodes take place on historical days that like you can look up um, and be like, oh, this happened here because they've they've done their research to kind of know the time period. Yeah, that's really cool. And the level of care taken to back then in for just a 1970s sitcom is really, really cool, I think. Mm hmm. So I found this article uh, published on MeTV.com, my favorite Ooh. TV network. <laughs> Of course, of About course. Dishel, and um, he said in that article that certain actors really cared about portraying the medicine properly, and in particular, Dishel said that Mike Farrell, who plays BJ, took the role of playing a doctor so seriously that it was almost like he had taken the Hippocratic Oath of do no harm uh, to a point where Farrell and Alan Alda got into a disagreement about something that happens in an episode later on in this series, which I will cover and we'll get to in trivia. But he was he was so into the medicine that he was uh, disagreeing with Alan Alda about like how it was being portrayed in a particular episode. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I love that commitment. We love when they commit to the bit. And that is that's excellent. I love hearing that. I can't wait to get to that future episode. That's gonna be a lot of fun to discuss. Yeah, you'll like that one, I think. Dishel also said that Wayne Rogers really had no interest in how the medical aspect of the show worked. He really just wanted to deliver his lines and was more focused on the acting rather than the medicine, which resulted in Trapper not being in many scenes of him being like a doctor doctor, as Dishel put it, Um, which Mm -hmm. is really interesting to go back and kind of watch those scenes and be like, oh, yeah, Trapper really wasn't the star medical provider at the camp a lot of the times. I wonder if that had to do, like, I wonder if Wayne Rogers' disinterest led to Trapper kind of becoming downplayed, where, as we know in the the book and the movie, he is more of the star surgeon of the the group, but because Wayne Rogers wasn't as interested in the medical stuff, I wonder if that led to the, the, like, reduced medical role that he eventually had. Yeah, I mean, certain questions we will just never have answered, I guess, but... Yeah, yeah that, that's really interesting to ponder on. Um, but no Wayne Rogers slander here because Dishel no. said that even though Wayne Rogers didn't really like care necessarily about the medical side of the show and portraying it properly, Wayne Rogers and Walter Dishel were lifelong friends. And I thought that that was so sweet. That's great. I love to hear that. That's awesome. Dishel also said that Loretta Swit took portraying the very important jobs of the nurses very seriously as well. Uh, He said that she became more invested in accurately portraying the role of a nurse and making sure it was known that they weren't just the doctor's handmaidens and that they were actually very Mm -hmm. important. So we love to see it. That's uh, that's Margaret to a T, you know? They're not just the girls. They are important. So that's that's fun that that bled into the actress as well. Yeah. Dishel is still alive today, and while I don't know if he's still practicing medicine or if he's retired, he did open his own cosmetic surgery practice in 1986 in California. He's probably rolling in it. He's got TV (laughs) money and LA cosmetics. He is uh, making bank, I'm sure. That's like a weird thing to end on, but okay. Um, 
Yeah, I'm so I'm so glad that you suggested I look into the medical consultant for MASH because I didn't know any of this. I was just mm-hmm. when when I was watching this as a kid, this did not even cross my mind that they didn't just know this, I guess, that they would have to consult yeah. the doctor. Um, so I had no idea who Walter Dischel was and I had no idea how many shows that he consulted on. So I'm so glad that I got to research who he who he is. I'm sorry, I just <laughs> so used to these actors unfortunately passing away. But um yeah, I'm so I'm so glad that I get to know who he is. Yeah, that is really fun. I'm I'm glad that I uh, was paying attention to the credits one day. It was like, ooh, the medical consultant will be an interesting point of discussion because it was. Uh, I'm glad that we both kind of got to learn about this guy because I imagine without a proper medical consultant, a match would be a very different uh, show, like tonally. You know, they wouldn't be quite as, you know, lived in as they are. Yeah, definitely. All right, Ethan. So what is your martini rating for this episode? You know, I had such a good time talking about this episode with you. It's like hard (laughs) to rate like objectively like you always try to do because now we've talked about and had a good time like about all the good points in this episode. I want to be like, oh, this one's pretty good. But I know that if I have to watch this one again, I would just not particularly enjoy it at all. There's nothing (laughs) that makes me want to go back and watch this one anymore so i think i am gonna go a three out of five because it's got some great character work but there isn't that like beautiful moment where i'm like oh this is a great episode of mash this is one Mm -hmm. that that defines the show which i think like a four and five can do but like three out of five it's a good enough episode yeah i agree with you i i'm also giving it a three out of five just because I feel like it could have been a tighter storyline with the character development still in there, but it still had enough for me to be like, okay, this is definitely not just a run-of-the-mill type of episode. Mm -hmm. So definitely three out of five for me. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, so just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob Burabalco for being our technical consultant, Melissa, my sister, for cover art, and of course our listeners. Thank you so much. Our music, social media, and contacts for the show are linked in the description, as always. And join us next week for Season 4, Episode 5, The Late Captain Pierce. One of my favorites, actually. But until then, eat beans off your co-worker's face. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. We didn't talk about how the beans exploded onto their faces for no good reason.